This is the CFK Nutrition Podcast. You're hanging out with me, Kate. Today, we are going to discuss a tool, something that becomes more and more the focus for many of us who are trying to work on our eating habits, our behaviors, and our psychology around food or our body is that we have to overcome old patterns of thinking or old patterns of behavior. And typically what comes with that are a lot of negative thoughts, whether that's just how we have practiced talking to ourselves or when we're going through trying to create change and inevitably we become uncomfortable, then we enter into the territory of negative self-talk because we want to go back to what we know. We want to go back to what's easy. The brain is really good at efficiency. And so when we're doing something new, it feels inefficient. It doesn't feel natural because we're out of practice. It's foreign. It's new to us. So it is just part of the process. But what we're going to focus on is a way that we can change our perspective or view our internal thoughts a little bit differently. And part of this is one, having a way or a system to help you calm your central nervous system because there is nothing worse than getting into a debate with yourself, some kind of internal dilemma, some kind of negotiation, or just feeling like you've got some thoughts on rotation in your head and it becoming stressful. And in those stressed out moments, that is when we will often turn to our previous patterns of behavior or other coping tools. So we might turn to food. That's pretty much the most obvious one, right? We'll turn to food. Food provides us with this dopamine hit, it gives us a sense of reward and it can override the negative feelings. It's a really quick way to feel good, even if it's temporary. The brain doesn't care. We just want that fix. And so we'll turn to food. So one of the first things that we want to look at doing is in those moments when we are feeling stressed and whether it's about food or it's actually about something totally different. It could be that you had a stressful day at work, you're about to get your period, you've had an argument with someone, you're at home and you're pissed off about something. Whatever is going on in your world, emotional, psychological, financial, anything and everything, that can potentially push you into a stressed out state, you're overwhelmed, it's flooding your system, and we've got to find ways to help us de-escalate before we behave in ways that aren't aligned with our goals, that aren't aligned with our values. And it doesn't mean that this tool is going to fix, fix this problem. And it doesn't mean it's never going to happen again, but it's just something to add to your arsenal. It's just a tool to add to your toolbox so that you've got it there and you can start playing with it and stretching it out and seeing what happens. And sometimes it might be really effective and other times it might not. And that's okay. You should have multiple tools for these scenarios. And if anything, if this begins to help you think about things differently, that can be the thing that allows you to make the most progress. Sometimes it's not necessarily in the execution. It's just in bringing in this concept and thinking about things a little bit in a, in a fresh light. The other reason is that when we have these negative thoughts or any thought in general, we're very much fused with our stream of thought, our consciousness. It's very much who we are. 
But what I want to introduce and what this tool introduces is this concept that we are not our thoughts. And when I think about myself, I'm thinking about a separate entity. So there's me who talks and then there's the entity that I'm talking about. And so people who say things, there's a great, great piece at the beginning of the book. I want to say that it's Waking Up by Sam Harris. Oh, actually, no, it's, I'm pretty sure it's Eckhart Tolle. I'm so sorry if I'm going to throw in a ton of references to books and not know which one it is. But man, if you take either of those books and read them, it will totally change your brain. Um, but Eckhart Tolle, uh, The Power of Now, he speaks about this moment where he said, I can't live with myself. And obviously there's a lot going on. That's pretty heavy, right? But if you consider what he's saying, I, as in first person, cannot live with myself. There's potentially two entities that exist. There's the person speaking, and then there's the person that you can't live with. And so when we think about that and we suddenly push some of our thoughts onto that second entity, that other person that exists within our brain, that internal voice or internal identity, then that can allow us to create distance from our thoughts. And why this becomes important is when we have negative thoughts, if we become fused with them, if they become who we are, then something bad happening is not just an experience of something bad. It makes us bad with it. So rather than, oh man, I failed my promise to myself about my eating, or I failed because I didn't go to the gym, or I failed because I haven't seen progress on the scales, whatever the reason is, that suddenly becomes, I am a failure. And all of the feelings that you have, the fears and the insecurities that you have around being unacceptable, unlovable, inadequate, all of those things are going to rush in because we open the door for those emotions. And we quite like going into that. We quite like the drama of that. We like to have a unique experience and to suffer uniquely. So we're not necessarily inclined to want to separate out from that. We feel validated in being a failure as being the reason we can't accomplish our goals. That feels like it makes sense to us. There has to be a reason I can't accomplish my goals. And it has to be a big one because I try and I want to and I'm, I'm putting in all this effort. But if it's actually me that's broken, then maybe that gives me an out, right? Which suddenly you realize that when we identify with our negative thoughts, it does provide us with an opportunity to abort mission because I'm broken. Therefore, I can't overcome that. I'm fixed this way. There's nothing I can do about who I am. So all of these efforts and all of the things I'm trying to do, well, I can't. I can't do them. So I'm just not going to worry about it anymore. I'm just going to stick with the old behavior patterns and the old thought patterns and just keep doing what I know I can do, where I know what the outcome is. As painful as it might be, that is less painful than trying to do something and recognizing how much of a failure I am. Now, if we do that again and we break away from the idea that I am a failure if I fail, it allows us to have this psychological flexibility 
And I love the word flexibility because we use it with our eating, we use it with our thinking, we use it with our behavior, we use it with everything. We want to be able to adapt and morph and change and move. And so this idea of being psychologically flexible is a really cool concept and I just I just like it. And I wanna attach myself to it as well because it's important to me that I think about this kind of thing as a way to identify with it, right? We can use this concept of being fused with our thoughts to our advantage. So you'll notice that the way that I talk is I won't say that I'm a failure, even though it still comes into my brain. I can promise you that those thoughts still come into my brain. I'm that kind of girl. That's just the way I am. I always do that. Of course that happens to me. Why am I like this? Those thoughts always come up for me. I can tell you right now, I'm not immune from experiencing negative thoughts, especially ones that I identify with. But now I have this almost follow-up thought. And this is the, it's not an automatic process. This is the one that I've programmed in myself. Okay. And I did it in a very manual way initially. Now the second thought that comes in is becoming a little bit more of the default thought and it takes over. And I want to grasp that thought more than I want to grasp the me. It's me. I want to grasp the thought where it's the problem and it exists outside of myself. And so I can fail at something and it doesn't have to mean that I'm a failure. It just means that the way I did it, it didn't work. The context, it wasn't right. The timing, it just didn't fit or whatever else is going on. I like to blame external factors because it means that I can try again it's so simple when you put it like that, right? And I've talked about this briefly before on social media where language around self-sabotage, like, oh, I always self-sabotage. It's dangerous language because you're blaming yourself again and you're the one that's in the way. And I think if, you're t if your tendency is to feel like you're the one at fault, which for a woman specifically, this is a thinking pattern that is really, really common. We're very, very quick to blame ourselves. Men tend to be, and this is based on the research, men tend to be better at pointing the blame elsewhere. Now, that's not to say that one is right or wrong, but it is helpful to know that if you realize that you do a lot of self-blame, or you realize that you do a lot of other blame, that maybe it needs to be switched up a little bit. So for people that constantly blame themselves, I'm wrong, I'm broken, I self-sabotage, I keep making the mistakes, I'm not disciplined enough, I don't have the willpower, you need to start looking outside of yourself for why it's going wrong. And having a little bit more of a objective assessment for the strategies that you're using and why they're creating or producing the results that you currently have. And when you've done that analysis, when you've taken stock of everything, not just your contribution, the environment, the circumstance, the landscape, the people, the time, the other commitments, your boundaries, anything and everything that could potentially impact your ability to do this thing that you're trying to do. When you start to factor those in, it can help you reassess for the next time. And so when you do try again, suddenly you've actually just taken some information that you've learned from your previous attempt that didn't work, it failed. And suddenly that's the mother of your education for the next time. 
what's the phrase, you know, failure is the mother of knowledge or failure is the mother of, I want to say education, but I don't feel like that's got quite the, the same ring to it. There's some phrase, someone's going to message it to me after this podcast and be like, oh, okay, you really butchered that, but that's okay. <laughs> what you get from this is when you can separate your identity from your behavior is you have an opportunity to try again more frequently, or you have an opportunity to see it differently. So we're going to talk about this tool and it's called diffusion, or you might see it referred to as cognitive diffusion. And I've been deliberately using the word fused because what this tool does is it defuses us from our thoughts and it allows us to separate who we are from what we think or how we feel. Okay. Which is important because we assume that the way we feel and the thoughts we have are the truth. And so typically what happens is we will go about proving them right or looking for evidence to support the case that they are correct. We will just go down that route. If we have a negative feeling, a negative thought, we will try and figure out why we're having that, which in other words is looking for proof, looking for evidence, right? We're very good at making sense of the world and the brain does it automatically. So it is important to, before we even get into this tool, to accept the idea that the thoughts that you have and the feelings that you have are not necessarily the truth. They're not necessarily accurate and they are many, many times going to be super unreliable. And anyone who is in a relationship will realize that because when you get into an argument or a disagreement with your partner, you will very, very quickly realize that they do not understand what you're saying. They do not understand your perspective, right? Because they might've had the shared experience of whatever went wrong, but their perspective, their take on things, their story, their thoughts and feelings are unique to them as yours are to you. And so even though you were both there, you both went through the thing, you both see it totally differently. And so it's, a lot of the arguments that people will have are around, I'm right, you're wrong, or this is how I see it. Why can't you understand that? And so we spend all this time trying to convince our partner how we feel and what's accurate rather than trying to understand how they feel and why they feel that way. And then trying to, or hopefully getting to a point where they will also be curious about why you feel the way you feel and why you had the experience that you had and what came out of it and where those things originated from. So diffusion is a process of loosening the grip that our thoughts and our feelings have on us and essentially our identity. So we create distance and we bring in this essentially observation to a degree, this mindful observation of what's happening inside our brain. And, you know, you might even identify some of this, these thoughts and feelings as the third party being your brain. I quite like to do that. I think of my brain I've used in a Karen for a lot of people. I've also named it according to where some of those uh, voices or thoughts uh, have been heavily influenced from. So for some of my clients, it's been a parent 
or in uh, one case it was a step parent who said a lot of things about this person's body and so they just really inherited a lot of these thoughts from that person that was highly critical and so we just named it we just named it the stepmother's name and it just made sense because all of a sudden you could connect where it was coming from and why it was coming up and you were able to separate yourself from them and not accept them as truth. It was like, oh, this makes sense as to why this is coming up. And that's so interesting. So in terms of diffusion, we are going to use a, I'm actually just pulling up an article. There's some really good articles on it, but we're going to use a technique to help understand the concept. So the Technique is actually utilizing your hands. So hands and fingers are going to be representing your thoughts. It's just, a, just like a little metaphor. So what I want you to do for this exercise is put your hands together and your palms are facing you as if you, as if you're reading a book, like pretending to read a book, you're looking at your hands, your palms are facing your face. Now, what you're going to do is I want you to keep your hands relatively close to your face and raise them up. And essentially, you should be blocking your vision, right? So raise them up and you can't really see anything. You can see bits and pieces through your fingers, okay? Now, using this, looking around, I want you to just notice that your view is impacted, right? Like your view is messed up. And your connection with your environment has major interference because your hands are quite literally in the way. It is impossible to see everything. You cannot see much outside of your hands and your hands are representing your thoughts. So I guess we have to consider what is it like when we go through our day where we have our thoughts blur our vision create blind spots essentially because our thoughts interpret everything and create a certain spin on our experiences according to our preconceived notions of other people of the environment that we're in any kind of judgments that we might have or any fears or any and i don't like to use the word baggage but i'm going to use it anyway any baggage that we might have from experiences in our past that are similar to what we're currently going through. And that could be work in the gym, in the kitchen with our partner, anything. So I guess we have to think, you know, if I've, if I've really created this like high interference and I can't really see things as they are, is this going to limit or are you missing out on things? Is it, potentially going to be challenging to respond to others or the world around you. And that kind of helps you understand fusion when you are fused with your thoughts. We are so entangled with those thoughts to the degree that we actually disconnect from our real experience, which is neutral. So another way to identify whether your thoughts and feelings are impacting your experience is if you're feeling very positive or very negative. Now, this might be a little bit hard to understand and totally get on board with, but the world and our experience, our circumstances are neutral. There is nothing positive or negative about it. We just exist and things in the world just happen and our life 
is just going along its own little timeline. Now, our interpretation of things is what creates positive or negative feelings. It doesn't actually make an experience positive or negative. It doesn't actually mean that something was good or bad just because you perceived it to be good or bad. And when we, when we grasp that, it's, it's potentially life-changing because suddenly we can, I guess, take accountability of how much impact we have on our experience. Because ultimately, you get to think whatever you want to think. You get to decide. We don't have to allow our brain to be in the driver's seat. You get to choose. You totally already do. But a lot of it is automated. You already decide if something's good or bad. You decide based on how you wake up in the morning and experience the first couple of hours of your day, whether it's going to be a good day or a bad day. You typically pick the trajectory. Now, there's always going to be things that are outside of our control and they can negatively impact us, right? Things that you don't get to decide, things that you aren't in the driver's seat for, right? So of course, there's going to be things that happen in life that will feel like they are bad things. But again, they are even the things that are happening out of your control. They are still just neutral. And we might assess them as good or bad because we have to judge the world. We have to be able to judge our circumstance and our surroundings because it's what keeps us alive and has done for, you know, eons before us. But it's still just neutral. So consider that. Consider that it's just neutral. Okay. So let's go back to this exercise. If we bring our hands down away from our face, you don't have to do it because this one's going to be, <laughs> this one's probably pretty obvious. If you've been holding your hands up in front of your face this whole time, well done. I'm impressed. Now, when you bring your hands down, as there's more and more visibility and your ability to see things increases and you can take in more, you can have essentially gather more information, it's easier to see, it's easier to connect, it's easier to understand the environment, it's easier to interpret the neutrality of the world that you're in right now. So your hands are your thoughts. And while they're still there, when we bring them lower, you can look at them without becoming entangled with them, without them blocking your ability to see clearly. Now, if thoughts, the thoughts or the feelings are useful, then you might want to use them. But if they're not, then you could notice them and decide if you want to use them or not. All right, rather than being the default, being that they will impact your in interpretation. This is how we become flexible. So when it comes to deciding whether to use the thoughts or not, it is going to require you to notice the thoughts. And so that's where it's like, you know, having a name for that, that third party, that other person calling it your brain, right? Which, you know, might not be the most effective name for some people, but I like to think about it as just like the brain. Cause I think about psychological evolution and I think about how the brain has the professor part and the monkey part, and it's got all these things that it's just doing. You're in a Karen, whatever it is that you want to use, think of a name. And so starting to notice that and be aware of the thoughts that you're having 
And there's this great story from a professor who was working with a lot of gifted students. And these students were coming from high schools all around the world or the country and entering into the school that was essentially this like um, big group of totally amazing skilled people, super bright, genius, talented people. And the experiences that a lot of these students were having, having was feeling totally lost and inadequate for the first time in their lives because they'd been the standout, they'd been the star, they'd been the only talented person and then entered into an environment where suddenly they weren't special. And the exercise that this professor came up with for them was when they had those thoughts or insecurities or fears or judgments or whatever the negative experience was, the drill was to go, huh, that's so interesting. That's so interesting that that's my thought right now. That's so bizarre that that's what came up. Oh my God, I'm so curious about that. That's so interesting. And bringing in this attitude of curiosity and what curiosity does is it removes a lot of judgment. And I know for me, when I get stuck in my thoughts and I'm fused and tangled, a lot of it is not necessarily even about the behavior or the thing that I've done that's bad or wrong. It's about my judgment of myself for it. So can you see how the, there's, there's so many entities within our brain, right? Like I'm judging myself for the thing that I did. And so it's not what I did. It's how I think about myself because of that. So <laughs> uh, we're so complex. So when I can bring in this idea of like, oh, that's, that's really interesting that I'm thinking like that right now, that allows me to just like dissolve the judgment. And it's, I'm not perfect at it, especially in extremely flooded moments or triggered moments. However, oftentimes when I have a little bit of distance from it, so, you know, maybe half a day or a day and I have hindsight, that's when I can go, oh, that's so interesting that that happened. And then the more that I have that interjection of curiosity, make it neutral, separate myself, there's a thought that I had, it's not who I am. Then more and more in the moment that proactively happens. So it is a process. It's not like you're going to nail this the first time. But again, we're introducing a concept and you get to flesh it out over the next weeks, months, years. Okay. So bringing in this concept of noticing, being intrigued, being curious, just being like, oh my gosh, this is so interesting that this is what my brain is doing right now. So in a moment, the next time that you have this, that flooding or a triggering moment, or you're judging yourself, or you're really upset with something that you've done, or you're feeling frustrated, right? Like that sense of frustration is often a really powerful feeling. I just want you to go like, huh, this is so interesting and see what the thoughts are. Like, what is that voice saying? What are the feelings and write them down or put them in, put them in a note in your phone. Like just be a, a conscious of what's coming up and what's happening. And just, there's nothing else you need to do about it because what you did is exactly the thing you need to do. You just become conscious of the thoughts being like, huh, okay. That's what I think about myself with regards to like eating a bad food oh my gosh, this is so interesting. So now my reaction to this feeling is to go and do X, Y, Z. Like that's what I'm feeling pulled towards doing right now. It's almost like, you know, for me, 
the trigger for the binge, if I was binge eating was, you know, I'd feel really restricted, something bad would happen, or I'd have a hard day, and I'd want to feel good. I'd want to, you know, some, there would be a desire to feel good, whatever the bad feeling was, I was like, I just want to override this. And something that I noticed, which was super interesting is that as soon as I'd made the decision that I was going to binge, that was like the peak of feeling good. And then it would be a slow, steady decline from there. So the peak of feeling good and getting that dopamine hit from binge eating was actually not in consuming the food. It was actually making the decision. And then the second peak moment was purchasing the food. And for people who have been binge eaters, you might, this might resonate with you. It might not for people who even who don't associate with being a binge eater, who've just had, you know, mess ups with their diet and not stuck to what they were supposed to eat or thought about eating bad food. You know, it could, it could relate to anybody. This experience is not necessarily unique to me. So pay attention to when you feel the best, what's happening with your thoughts and your feelings. So I get pulled towards wanting to do something. And then I have a big dilemma with myself about eating the food or not eating the food. Then I decide to eat the food and I immediately am like, ah, yes, this is going to be great. And then I go and buy the food. Like I go through the fun process of like, Ooh, what am I going to eat now that I have this freedom? Like, well, let's just go nuts. And I go through like Uber Eats or I go to the supermarket and I prowl the aisles and I'm like, "Mm, what am I going to eat? And then I buy the food. And then from there, typically at that point, I start to have a lot of guilt and shame. And then I eat the food. And during eating the food, it turns not into like a happy, excited feeling. It's typically starting to turn into punishment at that point. And it becomes more and more uh, just shitty. And so the that took me a long time to notice. That took me such a long time to figure out. Um, and I don't even know at what point it happened, but I just had this little insight into what was going on in this process of binge eating when I really started to confront it and look at it and, and see like, what, what am I actually experiencing in these moments? And when I noticed it, it was just like every time after that, that was exactly what was going on. So it was a super interesting experience for me. What that means is now if I have that pull towards wanting to go and eat bad food or I'm just like, I feel shitty and I just want to go and feel better, you know, I I think food is a coping mechanism. And I think, you know what, if anything, fucking take advantage of it. Know that it can be helpful, especially if you've got something really stressful going on. It's like you, you, this could be quite a simple tool to help you deal with it. Now, what I can do is I can just go and buy something. And that's when I feel good. Now, <laughs> this is where like retail therapy is a real thing. Okay. I do it with food though, but you can, you know, I have certainly done it with other things, but food's a little bit more affordable if you're going to go and <laughs> spend money to feel better. But anyway, what I've kind of realized now is I don't have to buy a lot of stuff. I can actually buy like something very small and it gives me the same little hit of dopamine. So I can buy something really small. It gives me that little like reward feeling and then I can eat it, but there's far less guilt or shame around it because it's something very small and I actually don't get over full, which, you know, prior to where I am now, my binge eating was in response to hyper restriction. So I would eat beyond fullness. I had no idea of my hunger and fullness signals. I didn't have any balance. I was so restrictive. So that binging, binge eating was not just to feel good, but it was actually to, to satisfy this very, very strong desire to eat food and to get an energy uh, with my body. So there's been different evolutions of me through, you know, recovering from binge eating and being a yo-yo dieter. But that was something really interesting that I noticed. So I want to give you a couple of other, I guess, uh, 
exercises that you can do and you know a lot of them are just noticing or watching the brain or just paying attention to the thought repeating it and becoming conscious and you know changing your feeling from being negative to either curiosity or appreciating that your brain thinks and just thanking your brain whatever it might be you know just creating a bit of a shift in order to create distance so this is actually from the University of Sydney. So some of the techniques that they talk about, I like all of these techniques. I've used them in other ways for other tools and um, I just think they're super effective. So one of them is thinking about an external voice. Instead of saying, I'm going to fail, say, I'm having the thought that I'm going to fail. And so that just literally creates a little bit of space between you and the thought. I'm having the thought or like, oh, my brain is coming up with this idea that I'm a bad person or like I've failed and I've ruined all of my progress because of this one decision I've made. And I'm starting to notice that it's almost like I'm pinpointing this moment in time as being what makes or breaks me. And this, you know, my success hangs on this one moment which it doesn't, right? So sometimes just externalizing the voice can help you notice any catastrophizing, any extremeness. It's almost like just flesh it out and look at it a little bit and see like, where is it taking you? What is it thinking? Like, how are you feeling these feelings? Because you typically need a thought to prompt the feelings. I know a lot of us think that feelings of thoughts happen either consecutively, consecutively, or thoughts happen before feelings. But uh, sorry, feelings happen before thoughts, but I'm pretty uh, willing to argue that your thought will be the thing that occurs first, then the feeling will be a consequence of the thought. Now that's a total Brooke Castillo um, a, a stance on it. And if you want to hear more from her, she is awesome. She's the life coach um, who has the life coach podcast and life coach school. Um, so that's essentially another, it's almost like another strategy to like attach yourself to having control. Um, and so a lot of that is really about like, I'm trying to bind up my identity in the things that I want it to be rather than what my automated thinking would like it to be. Okay. Name the story. If all of these thoughts and feelings were put into a movie, what would you call it? What would it be? Is it a drama? Is it an action? Is it a romance? Is it something sad? Like, is it a fucking horror? <laughs> what is it? What is the story? Can you name it? And the, you know, an example is like the, I'm going to fail story or no one likes me story or I'm unlovable story. And I think what's fun about this is suddenly, you know, one, I think you can bring in a little bit of humor and it can be kind of lighthearted because we, we all have stories that are consistent. We all, you know, it's amazing how much we all struggle in the same way and what our fears are, are not unfortunately that's special. We often have the same fears. And so it's, it's actually quite easy to come up with like, what's the cliche story that I am super hung up on right now. And it's like, my boyfriend doesn't love me or like, I'm going to be morbidly obese and no one will think I'm attractive. It's the, <laughs> the like, I suck story. I suck at this. Like I'm not as good as anybody else story. It's like, you're going to have a handful of stories that typically repeat themselves that come up again and again. And if you can identify them, that can make it much easier to categorize your thoughts and figure out like where are they coming from or what's happening? What's the fear that's popping up for you right now? What's, what's going on? And so it's again, just a bit of an assessment tool. Okay. Type it out. Now, the thing that I like about either typing it out, writing it out, putting it in your phone, any kind of journaling is that it can be really, a really effective tool 
to write it in third person. And so you would say, for me, I'd be like, okay, Kate is trying to do this. Kate did that. And Kate feels like this. And so just kind of like writing the story out of like what happened. Now you don't have to do it in third person. Um, it's a, it's a just exercise that you can do and try. Um, especially if you're someone who hasn't done a lot of journaling, sometimes having a structure or a template or system for writing can be helpful. So, you know, having this idea of, okay, I'm going to write the story as if it's about someone else. And you might even use someone else's name. It doesn't have to be your name. It could be someone else going through your exact experience. You can write it all down. Another way is to just word vomit. I quite like word vomiting. That is my chosen preference for journaling. I will just throw anything in my brain down. It doesn't make sense. There's shitty grammar, shitty spelling. I change thoughts mid-sentence and it doesn't matter. You could also use prompts. So you can find journal prompts or ask yourself questions and do it interview style if you wanted to. Another exercise, and this is fun, pop-up thinking or pop-up mind. You know, when you're on your computer and you have annoying pop-ups, which do you know what? They don't happen as much anymore. I feel like my computer system is really good at blocking pop-ups to the point that when I'm deliberately trying to pop something up, it fucking doesn't. <laughs> That's what we want our brain to do. So I want a system in my brain that is so efficient at blocking and just filtering bullshit that it just like doesn't allow pop-ups to open <laughs> That would be great. But imagine those thoughts as like pop-up thoughts or spam emails, right? Like they're the emails that come through, they're like, Ugh. even text messages. Maybe that's the new thing, right? I'm getting so many spam text messages. So those negative thoughts, you could consider them, consider them spam text messages from a random number, someone that you don't know trying to fucking get something from you. So some kind of pop-up ad, some pop-up window, some annoying text, and just imagine it as something that's going to pop up. It's going to happen at times and you can just ignore it. It's just going to be there. It doesn't change your experience. Um, or you can think of it like this, passengers on the bus. So if you're driving a bus, treating difficult thoughts as rowdy or annoying passengers. So the goal is, can you keep driving? rather than stopping when they want or trying to kick them off. Can you stay focused on driving your bus safely to your destination? I'm a visual person, so I quite like that. Say it slowly. Say the thought in slow motion. What do you notice about the thought? What do you notice about the power of the thought? Is it painful? Is it uncomfortable? When you say it slowly, is it less painful and less uncomfortable? Does it help you really face it and really head on confront the thoughts that you're having about yourself, those negative thoughts. This might be something that feels helpful for you to just kind of be present with the thoughts because sometimes they happen so quickly. You know, we can just spiral and it happens in the blink of an eye and suddenly we are feeling totally depressed, really disappointed in ourselves. And quite happy, happily convinced that we're just like the worst person on the planet. <laughs> we can do that so quickly. It's amazing. So maybe part of your process, part of your diffusion is just slowing down. Just, just like hit the pause button and just like say things again, repeat it back, repeat it back slowly. 
You can also consider some of your thoughts to be leaves on a stream. So you'll notice that a lot of this is like there's movement, let the thoughts keep moving. You don't have to stop them. So if the thought pops up, imagine placing it on a leaf on top of the stream and just watching it float away. Watch it disappear. I don't know if I'm totally on board with that one, but I like the concept. It's very peaceful. Thanking your mind. Next time an unhelpful thought pops into your head, try saying thanks for that brain. After all, your brain thinks it's helping. It does. It's just trying to look out for you, man. (laughs) So I really loved working with Rob Forte. Uh, For those of you guys who don't know, he is a CrossFit athlete. He's an affiliate owner. He went to the games like 10 times. Um, And he... He's done so much mental work. He was just so interesting to talk to and to get insight into the way that his brain worked. So one of the things that I remember him sharing with me and some of the other athletes that he was working with was when he had a negative thought come into his head during a workout, which one thing about doing something like CrossFit or training at high intensity, whether you do it at you know a non-CrossFit gym or a CrossFit gym, is it 100% puts you into an environment where you are probably going to have negative thoughts. So it's kind of like this safe uh, environment to test some of these tools and see if you can do this stuff in those moments, in those high intensity potentially easily triggerable moments. And that's kind of the beauty of doing hard things in day-to-day lives. It's just this way to build up your confidence, to build up your ability to have psychological flexibility. Because the funny thing about training is that we are getting uncomfortable on purpose. So <laughs> you can't opt out. You you want to be here. You want to do this. It's the, the whole point is to get uncomfortable. But we will resist it and fight it because our bodies don't really know the difference between doing a hard workout and running the fuck away from a threat. <laughs> so our brain will, you know, it's like our our monkey brain or our, our mammalian brain, reptilian brain, mammalian or reptilian, whatever brain is the one that it's been, the, it's the oldest part of the brain. Obviously I am an expert on brains. So (laughs) Rob used to tell us about the way that he would talk. He would say if he had a negative thought or like a, you should rest, you should pace it. You should slow down. This is too much for you. You've redlined, you've gotten out, gone out too hot. You need to break this up. Whatever the thought was, whatever the very convincing suggestion was for essentially just slowing down, like just finding a way out. He would say, thanks for that, but I don't need that right now. Like, okay, thank you. Thank you for your contribution. But I I actually don't want that help right now. I don't need that advice. Like, thank you, but no thank you. And I was totally mind blown. It was such a simple thing and he would just constantly do it. He was like, hey, I hear you, but not right now. Thanks, but no thanks. And I, I loved that. And what I think helped me with that, not just as a phrase to use or understanding how someone else implemented this tool, was that you suddenly realize that the thoughts that we have are often thoughts that we're thinking, uh, that we're, sorry, the thoughts that we're thinking we are listening to. We're spending most of our time listening to those thoughts and just consuming them and just accepting them as truth or accepting those thoughts as us and who we are in that moment. And suddenly that idea or drill that Rob gave me was 
realizing that you get to speak back to it. You don't, you don't have to just listen. You, you can talk back to that voice. Stop. In fact, stop listening. Stop listening to that voice and start talking back to it. Start saying the things that you want to think rather than accepting what just pops up automatically. Start thinking the way that you want to think. And so one of the experiences that I had was I remember doing burpee pull-ups and burpee pull-ups are a movement that I've always kind of hated. (laughs) They just feel slow. There's like, uh, it's like multiple parts. There's many ups and downs and then there's a jump and there's essentially it's a movement where there's so many opportunities to like break it up and go slow that it creates ample opportunity to think about what you're doing think about how painful it is and really resist the intensity. Like I'm, I get very defensive in my thinking and training sometimes. And I remember having this moment of like, I was going through the motions of like, oh, this is really hard. I'm really slow. I'm really not good at this. My strength is weightlifting. I'm not very good at fitness. I'll never be good enough. Like, you know, you just kind of have this like, oh, this sucks. Like, why am I so bad at this? And like, I'm breathing so heavy and this is so hard. And like, what am I going to do? And like, how am I going to explain this at the end of the workout? And like, I just don't feel very good today. And I just started the workout and just suddenly got halfway through and realized that I'd gone out, you know. I will, I'm obviously very much a thinker when I'm training, especially if it's something that I don't particularly like, or don't feel like I'm performing well at and notice that I don't feel like I'm performing well at. It's me judging myself during the thing I'm doing. It's not actually what's going on. It's not actually using the data. It's not actually thinking about just do what you need to do. It's already judging myself based on how I think the performance is going. So I'm a big self-judging person in training, and that's been one of the biggest things that has held me back. But I had this moment. I just remember doing burpees and kind of slowing down. And I remember like listening and listening and listening in this like endless stream of thoughts that were just so fucking painful. And I just remember thinking like, am I really going to stop every time it hurts? Is that really what you're going to do? Is that how you're going to respond? Like every time that you get uncomfortable with the movement, are you going to slow down? Like every time you have to do burpee pull-ups, is that what you're going to do? Is that the option that you're deciding to take? Because it's what all you've done so far. And I kind of realized that I didn't have to, I didn't have to do that. And suddenly in talking to myself rather than listening to myself, I kind of just was like, okay, why would I, why would I practice that? Why would I create that behavior? I'm allowing myself to create that behavior. What if I created a different behavior? What if I just fucking was the kind of person that just moved and got rid of the gaps? Like as soon as my feet hit the ground, I'm already reaching for the floor with my hands. What if I just got rid of that pause? What if I didn't step? When I bring my feet in, can I avoid having to step under the bar into the right place? Like, can I get rid of these unnecessary pauses? Like, am I really slowing down because I can't do it? Or am I just allowing myself an out? And it totally transformed my burpee pull-ups. And, you know, I'm still, (laughs) there's still many things that I could work on, including burpee pull-ups. But it was just this total 180 internally. And when I suddenly started, talking to myself, it just changed the experience. I was still doing the same thing, but my experience of it was totally different. And that stream of thoughts that were just like fucking relentless, 
it was like I suddenly was doing it in spite of that. And I suddenly took the power back and I was back in the driver's seat. And again, it's not like the bad thoughts go away. That's still going to be there. And that's why you're like, okay, thanks. Like, thanks, but not, not right now. I don't need you right now. Maybe later. I'll consider listening to you after the workout when I've got the data and I've got the feedback and I can can go and write down some feedback for myself or what I would do differently. But right now, like I don't need an assessment of what I'm doing and how I'm going. It's not helpful to me. That is hindering me. And so suddenly it becomes about, are you listening to yourself or talking to yourself? Are your thoughts helpful, helping you or are they hindering you? And just stop fucking leaning on the thoughts that are hindering you. And I know this is talking about a workout, but I hope that you can see how this applies to any thoughts that you have in any circumstance. The last thing is carrying cards and writing the thoughts down. So, you know, I think that you could probably use your iPhone or if you are someone, you know, I think there is power in using pen and paper. So you could carry paper around or have it available to you in a bag or in your car and then write it down when you get there. But I just think, you know, having this purpose of, I want to write down some of these thoughts. And I think the cool thing about this as a tool is that you will start to notice what the reoccurring theme is. And so that's why where you might go back to like, okay, which of the five stories that I tell myself is it? Is it the I'm an adequate story? Is it the my partner doesn't love me story or my partner's eventually going to leave me story? Is it the I'm a fraud at work and I act like I'm the shit, but I'm actually not? <laughs> Obviously, you can tell that these are all my personal stories. But I think having a method of writing down some of the thoughts, and you might write them down word for word, um, but then figuring out, okay, what category is that one in? Is that one in the inadequacy or the unlovable or the this, that, those categories? And I think that once you figure out how, what fear or insecurity it attaches to or what's going on underneath the hood, that will help you essentially identify like where, where is it coming from? Like what's, what's really going on? What's happening? What part of myself is bringing these thoughts up and what part of myself wants to really buy into it? What part of myself wants to really believe it? Um, the whole like I'm a failure thing. It's like, what is it that makes me want to believe that? What are the thoughts and what's reoccurring here? So I think when you can notice a pattern, that's something that can be super useful because once you notice what's reoccurring, what's constantly happening over and over again, then you can begin to expect it and then you can create a system to counter it. And like I said, it may never go away. It may never stop, but you can get really, really powerful with the thoughts that you decide to have with your diffusion skills, with your separating yourself out from those thoughts, with identifying that third party. So this is the tool that I want you guys to use. <clears throat> February is selfish February. Um, and so I want to keep this theme going. And for those of you guys who aren't aware that it's Selfish February, you clearly were not in the CFK Masterclass this month. <laughs> if you want to get into the CFK Masterclass, then you need to sign up for weekly or unlimited coaching. And then in March, we're going to talk about emotional eating. So there's a little bit of like, a, you guys can hopefully see, there's a little bit of carryover. Being selfish is going to be about investing in yourself. 
And what it helps you do is become better at being selfless. Okay. So we're looking for healthy ways to be selfish. And so doing these kinds of tools and uh, sorry, using these kinds of exercises can be one way that you can become selfish and become obsessed with yourself. Like become obsessed with yourself, become obsessed with what thoughts you have and what's going on in your brain, figuring out ways that you can optimize and figuring out ways that you can understand yourself on a deeper level and figure out what the fuck is going on. And so when we take that and we learn that, what we talk about in March with emotional eating is going to make more and more sense because we understand so much about emotions and how we're thinking and how we're feeling and our attachment to those thoughts. And then when it comes to food, entering the picture, some of the stuff that we touched on today, we've already kind of talked about it, but we're going to dive even deeper into it. And I think that this is going to be a really, really nice uh, kind of way to lay a foundation for the stuff that we're going to talk about in March. So that is cognitive diffusion. It is something that is a, not just a skill, but an attitude and a sense of understanding yourself or a sense of understanding the world according to this as a, I guess almost as like a, as a, the way things work. You know, it's like I overlay a lot of these concepts and ideologies as like, well, I know that this makes me work better. And so I'm going to implement these as like, this is how things work. Um, and this is how my brain works. And this is how I can talk back to it. And this is how I can X, Y, Z. So I like to bring in these concepts and let them become pretty cement. And, you know, not to say that there's not many other tools and ways of thinking out there. Um, but like I said before, I like to identify what is helpful and what is not helpful. And then I try to focus on the helpful stuff. <laughs> And so I use that as my evidence or my proof to make me figure out things the way that I know is going to be helpful. All right. That is diffusion. So again, if you forget, if it feels confusing, think about your hands in front of you. When your hands are blocking your sight, blocking your vision, not allowing you to connect with things as they really are, makes it hard to interact with the people or the environment that you're in. Then when we bring it down, that is when we're no longer fused. Our thoughts are still there. They're in front of us, but they're just not blocking our view. We can interpret the world the way that we decide to interpret the world. We can also be open to trying on other people's ways of thinking. So if you do have a partner, like I mentioned before, where you just get stuck on that fucking merry-go-round of like, this is what happened. Listen to my experience. You don't get how I feel. And then they go, no, this is what happened. That makes no sense. This is the reality. This is what's accurate. Can you not understand me? Rather than doing that, start trying on their thoughts and see if they can try on your thoughts. It doesn't fucking matter who's right or wrong. All that matters is that you can understand what each person is feeling and why. The more that you can begin to do that, and not just with your partner, but obviously with yourself, the more psychological flexibility you will have. Ladies and gentlemen, that is the end of the cognitive diffusion episode. This was a really fun one. If you have any feedback, if you have any questions, if you would like me to talk about other topics, please send them my way. You can contact me via the CFK Nutrition Instagram, or you can email me at info at cfknutrition.com. I'm always monitoring that email and I always respond to people. So hit me up. If you want to sign up for coaching, if you want to get in on, on that masterclass, do it. Do it ASAP. 
We start the masterclass usually in the first week of the month. It's on a Tuesday night, 6 p.m. Sydney time. So if you're based in Australia, that's going to be easy to figure out. If you're overseas, just figure out what that time is going to be for you. Um, now, I at the moment, I'm doing them in the morning in Australia, but it might make sense to do some in the evening here because that's typically going to be a better time for people that are international. If that's you, let me know. The more people that I know are in that position, the more likely we are going to do a second one or alternate the times. So I want people to be able to get into them, but I need to know if you need some adjustments, need to be accommodated. All right, that's us guys. Thank you for hanging out and I will see you on the next one.